Listener Production. G'day, you are listening to episode 79 of the Howie Games Part B featuring champion Hoop Hugh Bowman. Winks and Hugh are ready to really hit top gear. Racing now. So we've delayed the audience for a while before we get to Winks. Is it... Were you happy... Will you be happy known forever as the bloke that rode Winks? Because there's so much more to your career, which is what we've discussed... But you will forever be known as the bloke that rode wings. Yes, and that's something I'm very proud of. Um, I'm even proud of the fact that, you know, I, I wasn't the reason that she was beaten any time, particularly towards the end. I mean, um, you know, it became such a phenomenon that it sort of got out of... The, the reality of horse racing got a little bit swept aside oh. with, with the Winx mania. Uh, but yeah, I'm ve- look to answer your question, I'm very, very proud of the fact that I was so why well, am and for, forever will be associated with with, with her, um, or, or a horse of her caliber. I mean, obviously she's she's a once in a she's not a once in a generation horse. She's a she, she's not a once in a decade horse. She she's a once in a century horse. That's what she is, and. Uh, I'm extremely proud of the association that I had with her. Uh, but, you know, I'm also very real. And as you said, there's a lot more to my career than Winks. And, it, you know, I I wouldn't like to think that my, you know, when I look back on it, that she's going to define my career. Obviously, she's a huge part of it. I th- and, you know, when you look at the numbers and the stats, I mean, what she did is just, like, it's, it's just not, it's not real. No. Like what she did was just so unrealistic. But I guess through the journey, it wasn't about the numbers, it wasn't about the stats, it was about just doing my job. It was about turning up and just going through the, you know, getting the job done today and then go home, come back and do it again tomorrow. You know, whether it be track work, trials, um, races, uh, you know, I guess everything to a degree, everything else got blocked out. Um, you know, so that, you know, I couldn't let the emotion of the whole journey, uh, I, I couldn't let that emotion in. So, you know, by blocking that out, I blocked a lot of other things out too. And, you know, I think there was a lot of sacrifice made, you know, by my loved ones, by myself, um, you know, for, for that to happen. And I guess it's very difficult to explain but it was almost like I was in a, I was in a, I was in a tunnel, and everything else was outside, and I just had to do, you know, just do my job. It wasn't about creating history. It wasn't about doing anything magical. It was just about doing what I've been doing for the last twenty years, and doing it as simply as I possibly could. It's a great explanation, and I, I can't wait to talk to you um, when we get to the point about pressure and dealing with pressure um, and having a whole country riding on your back alongside a horse. But where do you first get introduced to Winks? Uh, at Randwick in the Furious Stakes, I think, for memory. It was the first race I rode her in. It was a Group 2 race for three-year-old fillies in the spring of 2014. 14. Heavy track winner. 2.8 lengths? 
Nice start. And Winks straight away with 100 metres to go. She'll remain undefeated. Winks a great prospect. And she comes down to win at Earthquake and Alpha Miss. Fight out second and third. Yeah. Well, you've got the iPad, so well, I'm, got, I'm going uh, off yeah. memory and you're going off the <laughs> well, iPad. Because but... I can't be telling you about the furious <laughs> stakes. So you get on the horse for the first time. The obvious question is, because a lot of people think, well, won all the races in a row, never got beaten, which is not actually the story, and we'll no, get to not. that. exactly. We'll, we'll get to that. But when you get on the horse for the first time, mm. you've ridden thousands of horses to this point. Do you have any indication that you're getting on a horse that's going to change the history of Australian racing? No, and that's you know that, that's a common question, but you know without trying to be uh, brutal, it's no. a silly question because you never think of a horse that in the way that what she's done. And I, how I, could you? I, I'd previously ridden so you think, and he ended up obviously he's a Hall of Fame horse, he's a champion. I didn't ride him in his big victories, but I rode him in his first start and I rode him in his third start. But when I rode him that first day at Rose Hill in a maiden, you know, I knew, you know, I didn't know he was going to go and win two Cox Plates and go to Europe and win five group ones over there. But but I knew he was good. Uh, Winks didn't give me that feel. You know, I didn't get off and say, well, this is... This is a Group One horse. I thought she's pretty good. She's nice, but I I didn't. But I've ridden other horses. I've got off. I said, well, this is a Group One horse, and I would consider myself a pretty hard taskmaster. Mm. And I would suggest if you spoke to most trainers, um, if they think they got a nice horse and they put me on, they usually get a disappointing report because that you know very few horses are Group One horses. But you know you don't always get it right. But I certainly didn't think that the first time I rode her that, you know, I thought she's a handy three-year-old filly. Well, she's decent. She's well above average, but I didn't think she's going to be a group one horse of the future. I didn't think she wouldn't, but she didn't stand out to me, really. So there's there's sliding doors in anything that happens in life. Uh, and I'm looking at some of the... Um, I just say, I've got my iPad out because I'm not Bruce McAvaney when it comes to <laughs> horse racing, I tell you. So she's ridden on the 4th of June by Jay Collett. Again, 28th of June, Jay Collett. Hugh Bowman gets on for the first time, 6th of September. Then 20th of September, Jay Collett's on. You're on again, Jay Collett's on. Tommy Berry's on. Marrera is on. How did it become your ride? How did it what? not be Tommy Berry trying to pilot this horse to all those rides or Collett? Well, I guess Chris Waller is the answer and my association with him. And if we go back a little while, I rode her in the Furious Stakes and won on her, as I said. At that time, I was riding a filly for John Thompson called First Seal. Mm -hmm. Uh, First Seal subsequently beat uh, Winks in the Princess. So it's a Princess series. It's a a four-race series for three-year-old fillies in the spring that's run in Sydney, uh, culminating with the... Uh, flight stakes at Group 1 level over a mile at Randwick and I had a choice to make do I ride for First Seal or do I ride Winks and that was a hard decision because you know I both were well they're the two best fillies of the of their year and I chose Winks and as I said, subsequently first seal beat Winks in the T Row Stakes. I didn't ride Winks that day. I was suspended. Jason rode, I think you just said. Yep. Uh, but I did ride Winks in the Flight Stakes, and first seal uh, beat us 
comprehensively. Uh, 2.3 lengths. But First Seal, get in the queue if you're on it. It's raced away, and First Seal's going to be much too good, wins it by three. Winks is second, thinking of you, might have got third in front of press report. And uh, it was obvious to me at that point I'd made the wrong choice. Wow. So I was pretty disappointed. Anyway, look, but as you say, it's sliding doors. At this stage of my career, you know, you can't get it right all the time. I'd, I'd, I'd chosen Winks because of my relationship with Chris Waller. Uh, he's a leading stable. He had a lot of horses. Uh, I've got a great relationship with John Thompson as well, but, you know, he just simply didn't have the stable power that Chris Waller had. So it was not... Although I'd made... The wrong choice on this occasion, I thought, you know, from a percentage point of view, obviously you're better off being with, with the bigger, more powerful stable because there's other horses and, you know, but, you know, I you put Winks aside because for obvious reasons, but, you know, the the bigger stables, if, if you miss this ride, you pick up the next ride, you know, and they'll always have the next one coming through. But it was, yeah, I guess at that stage I thought I'd made the wrong choice. But as history would have it, yes, you. that was the right choice, wasn't it? It was. Wow. Okay, so you continue along. You're not on the horse. Other people are on the horse. You win on the, on the Queensland Oaks on the 30th of May. McDonald gets on on the 15th of September. And then you are on. And you are on. And Australian racing changes. Your life changes. When when does it uh, when does it hit you that you're beginning to be part of something special? Uh, really, I guess at about um, about win number eighteen in a row. <laughs> you didn't think of the first seventeen, you? Not really. <laughs> uh, you are a harsh judge. Obviously, uh, winning the Cox Plate was a significant point in my career and. Chris Waller's career. Okay, so tell me about that. You win your first Cox Plate. That, that you've, was, you've come from Dunny Do. You've ridden yeah. chaff bags. So, you've wanted to win a Group One, and then you're at. I can see you smiling now. I can. You're at the Valley. Yeah. Winks is away and gone round the home turn. Three lengths in front of Highland Real Criterion, and then came the cleaner. But Winks is well clear from Criterion at Highland Real. Winks kept going by Hugh Bowman. What a win! Winks has bolted in the Cox Plate by four lengths to Criterion. Highland Real ran third. Bonus A4. I'd ridden many Group One winners by this stage, uh, but I'd never ridden what we'd consider a major winner. So the Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup. Golden Slipper, Caulfield Cup. Uh, so to the 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 Cox Plate is effectively the best race in the country, and um, so to to win it was you know it was beyond my childhood dreams. Hugh Bowman, outstanding ride on Winks, and just as these jockeys come past, you just pull up, you've taken a deep breath, and you're just so overwhelmed. Um, I wanted to be when, when I was a little boy was be a jockey. Um, to be here riding on this stage is one thing, but to win a race like this, um, I can't tell you how much it means, and I'm so thankful. You cross the line and you won the Cox Plate. How are you feeling? Yeah, I was elated. Obviously, I mean, I'm. I'm not one of these people that gets too emotional um, 
on either sides of the spectrum. You know, I, I try not to get too down when things are against me, and I don't get too overawed when things are going with me. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I can explain it in any more accurate terms than I than I just did. You know, I was very, it was beyond my wildest dreams to even be riding in the Cox Plate is <laughs> um, very very special, and I think it was my third. Second or third ride in the race, but um, yeah, I'm sure I'll feel pretty comfortable riding in it for the remainder of my career. So, can you comprehend that you won four on the same horse? Not, no, I can't. I I can't comprehend that one horse has won it um, four times. I mean, it's just as you say, all the numbers are there and all the stats and. They're unbelievable, really, and it's not something I really looked at during the journey, and it's not something I've really reflected on a lot either because it was just towards the end there was just so much pressure and expectation that it's almost like it's been a decompression time for me the last six weeks. But Is that why you need a time away? It is, yeah. I think it's been a, not only weeks, but I've been travelling a lot over the last four years, as I said, a lot of time in Japan. So when Winks wasn't racing, I did time. I'd spend time in Japan. I'd travel a lot to Hong Kong. I've got great support base in Hong Kong. But in Hong Kong, I can go there, ride, and come home. Whereas Japan, I'd have to stay over there for periods of time. You know, at the very least, two, two or three weeks, and up to four or five weeks. So, you know, I guess all of that, you know, uh, the travel, the winks. Um, you know, right, being the leading rider in Sydney, uh, you know, not only the expectation on her, but by, by being her rider attracted a lot more attention on everything else I did. Yep. And I think, again, it's not something I've really thought about. It's just interesting speaking about it, you know, and saying how I felt. But, you know, I didn't think to myself, oh, I'm not coping at any stage because I was so, as I said, I was in this, it was like I was in a tunnel and everything else just got put aside and I think, um, yeah, I mean, sacrifices were made by by myself and by my loved ones and it's something that's become a reality for me now. You mentioned pressure and... I used to watch the races and the first thing that would be in my mind is, God, the pressure this man is under. I think you'll be able to answer this question better than any other athlete in Australia over the last 15 years. How, and you talk about the tunnel, how much pressure was on as it moved away from a racing story and became a sporting story and due to the internet now, you know, people can watch you riding Winks, in Japan from Flemington two minutes after it happens. So the world is going to know the day that Hugh Bowman loses a race on Winks within three minutes. Yeah. Good heavens, Hugh. Yeah, it's not something, you know. That's the reality of it, though. Yeah, but it's not something I, you know, I didn't think about the consequences of not winning. Okay, so how did you cope with the pressure of the whole country wanting you and that horse to win so many times in a row? Well, I just, as I, you know, I went through my routine, as I said at the start of the show. You know, I, 
I had to manage my weight. I had other horses to ride. And I was criticised a lot about my riding, you know, you know, was I as effective on other rides on the day when Winx was racing? And, you know, I'd have to say, you know, a lot of the criticism was a little bit unwarranted. Mm. Um, you know, I was certainly very careful when I was riding in the races, not so much on the day, but in the lead up to when Winx was racing, because, you know, I thought, you know, what crossed my mind a lot was the fact that Malcolm Johnson's association with Kingston Town, who won three consecutive Cox Plates, and he only rode him in one of them. Uh, Peter Cook, another, and Ron Quinton, uh, the other. And so that, you know, I felt a responsibility not only to myself, but to Winks and her owners and to Chris Waller to to not be suspended uh, when, when she was racing. And, you know, to, for that to happen, I had to be careful. And I, I'd make no apologies of... Um, you know, for for riding that way because um, I felt the responsibility of, you know, obviously from a personal point of view but also from a connections point of view and, you know, I think that that responsibility was borne out when I was suspended for her first up run uh, in the autumn of 2000 and... 17, mm. and Chris decided not to run her. Uh, I think that – so we, we all felt it. It wasn't something that was discussed uh, ever. But, you know, I think we all felt – everyone involved with her felt a huge responsibility to do the right – to 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 be there on the day for her, you know, and, and every other day. So, I mean, I rode her in all the main track work gallops over the last two years or so. Uh, I think there was two or three occasions Karen McAvoy rode her uh, in race day gallops if I was riding interstate, uh, which which I really enjoyed because I love getting Karen's feedback because because I was the only one riding her, there was no one to sort of mm. compare her <laughs> with or to, uh, so it was always interesting getting his feedback and um, yeah I was pleased. So by that stage, obviously she was. You know, she she was what she is, but in the early days that wasn't the case, and it was she's just you know another horse being prepared um, to to go and race race to her premium. Uh, so did the pressure ever get to you? Did the, did the pressure get to a level where it was because it as I say to you, like you're very matter of fact about it, but by gee whiz, you're under the pump. There was two, only. Only two times. It was a third Cox Plate. Weeks on the outside. Bowman hasn't moved yet. The valley's rocking and the world is knocking. Weeks goes to the front. 200 to go. Humidor to the outside. It's Weeks in front by a leaf. Humidor on the outside is trying hard. It's Weeks in front. Humidor's coming at it. Weeks is holding on. The great bear completes the great trilogy of the turf. Weeks has won the Cox Plate by a half leaf. Her third Cox Plate and her and her last race were the two times where the scrutiny was just almost exhausting. Her, her last Cox Plate, I was pretty, you know, I was I was pretty up and about, but I, I was really confident. Um, you know, I just wanted it to happen. Uh, I guess I had a bit of a query about Ben Battle, but the third Cox Plate, I. I was 
yeah, I was pretty nervous before that race, but uh, that that was really the the main two. That third Cox Plate and the, yeah, the, so, that was the last race because it was there was no looking forward. There was, there was no you know get it done. Move you know there was it's almost like the the floodgates were about to open, and I could absorb everything that I'd just been through over the last four years with her because I don't think I really had absorbed it and I'm not sure that I have now. But there was no tomorrow in the, you know, whereas up until the last race, it was a process and that's the way I looked at it. It was just going through a process. Did you ever, I don't know if it would be weak, did you ever open your mind to the consideration of what would happen if you did, didn't win along the journey? Uh, yeah, I did because... A good example is when she narrowly won uh, what is now the Wink Stakes. It was the Warwick Stakes when she missed the start. Um, I get more nervous now watching that race than I did when I was riding it. But uh, when she missed the start... And we're set. The comeback of Winks today. And the gates open. They're off. The mares missed the start by four lengths. In a sensation, Winks is last and Ecuador's going to lead comfortably. You know, I, I mean, it looked dramatic. It was dramatic. But ultimately, she probably would have been racing in the same position had she jumped in that particular race, um, sitting back last. So it didn't really concern me that she missed the start, but I was a bit worried at the corner because I was behind uh, Tommy Berry and John Hawks. I can't think of his name, but he'd won the a to C Derby. In, so here's a mile and a half horse running first up at weight for age over 1,400. And it was a slowly run race, so I knew it was going to be a sprint home. But at that stage, the winning sequence wasn't so important. So I wasn't thinking, oh, I've got to win. I was just thinking, we're first up. I've got to make sure that her last furlong's the best. I've got to ride her to run her race. I wasn't thinking about having to win that particular day. And Winks, she's still back last as they go past the 500 metres. Ecuador coming off the fence, giving Fox Play a bit of room. Then Harper's Choice, Red Excitement. Winks gets to the outside, six or seven off the lead. Fox Play, the stablemate to Winks, makes the run on the fence, goes up to join Ecuador. Red Excitement, Winks is four lengths away. She's cutting loose now. Fox Play in the front from Ecuador. Winks is down the outside. It's going to get desperate. Winks is going to Fox Play. Winks dives. Yes, she got up. Winks got up to beat Fox Play. There's 18 in a row, but what about the drama today? Obviously, after that, um, you know, she went on to win her, ne- her next four starts, culminating in her, must have been her third Cox Plate. Uh, but it might have been a second, I can't think now, but... Obviously, the winning sequence, and that's about, remember I spoke before about win number 18? Yep. Um, I think that sort of came about either either that prep or the following prep, and that's when it started to become real. You're starting to get compared with Black Caviar, and the winning sequence became very important. But on that particular day, it was probably win, I don't know exactly, but it would have been about win 11 or 12 maybe. Um, you know, if she was beaten that day, it wasn't the end of the world. It was just about making sure she was on track for for, for the Cox Plate, really. So did you any did you do anything different when it did get to the point where it would have been, as you say, the end of the world if the streak? Well, finished? I did. I rode it differently. You know, I I didn't sit back last till the you know four hundred meter mark and just let her glide home. You know, I 
put her in the race. I rode her more assertively in races I needed to. Um, and yeah, I did. I rode her. I rode her to win every time. But it, I'm not saying I wasn't riding her to win that day. But mm. if she had been beaten, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. But. Beyond that race, it sort of would have been. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean. Back to Huey in a moment. The last episode of the show featured V8 star Scotty McLaughlin, who won Bathurst just after this episode was released. Well done to Scotty. The Howie Games is wrapped for you, great man. The Mount Panorama win is a long way from the lowest point of Scotty's career when he lost a championship everyone thought was his. What happens then? I just start crying. Just, um, it's just like the hardest moment in my life. You know, I worked, I worked so hard to get to that point from when I was six years old. You know, getting sponsorships and stuff, and and then I, I was in a position, a great team to win, and I had the big boss there, Roger, watching me, and I felt like I just, I felt like a failure. I felt like a, well, I was, I, I was a loser. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of, lot of um, emotions. But um, I sort of pulled it in because Dad was always hard on me when I was younger. He's like, "If you're ever going to cry, you go on the trailer and you don't do it with anyone. You don't show your emotion because you know they don't, no one likes a sore loser." He was always strict on me like that. So, sort of pulled it all in when I was coming to the pits, but just broke down again when I walked in and basically saw everyone and DJ crying. It was like a grand final defeat for a losing team, you know, in AFL. So yeah, it was. Um, Hard. We won the team's championship, which was a very big thing, but everyone wanted to win the drivers' championship as well. And um, yeah, I've never been. I was so embarrassed. Embarrassed. That's yeah, an unusual was, word. Yeah, I was just like, especially when I rocked up to the gala dinner the next night. The awards dinner, like our Brownlow. The very dinner, next night. The next night, and seeing Jamie with the championship cup and all the highlights, literally from the race in Newcastle, and literally every highlight, mate. Like there was like four or five highlights, and it was all my stuff ups. That's Scotty McLaughlin in episode 78 of the Howie Games. Check it out with the rest of the back catalogue. And if you would be so kind, please aim to tell one person about the show this week so we can continue to grow. That'd be epic. Hit me up with all sorts of information, what you like, potential guests, etc. Mark Howard 03 on social media. Alrighty, back to Hugh. So what is it, Hugh? You said you didn't notice it when you first were on the horse. When she was at her most dominant, why was this horse so good? Well, there was a lot of factors. There wasn't just one. Uh, she had a turn of foot. Uh, she could. She settled well. She she had a will to win that I've never felt from any other animal I've ever ridden. And the way she was managed, I mean. You know, I couldn't make her go to the level she went to. Chris Waller couldn't make her race at the level she did. That was her. But the way Chris managed her and his discipline in structuring her programs uh, made her compete at the level she did for so Well, it didn't make her do it, but it helped her compete at the level she did for so long. So over the journey of her career, uh, horses that come to mind are... Arrogate, who was a dirt horse in America. Um, Enable, who raced, who races in England, as we know. Uh, they're probably the two standouts. Uh, even a horse like Frankel, who raced before Winks, um, he, he he only had 
10 or 12 starts, but he consistently raced at a very, very high rating, whereas these other horses, they might have run once or twice. Uh, Golden Horn, I think, the other one who who matched Winks as the best horse in the world last year in the in the Longines ratings. Mm. Uh, but those horses, they'd run a high rating once, and then they'd run a pretty standard, what let's call it a standard Group 1 level every other time. Winks raced above Group 1 standard every time for four years. Um, <laughs> and that is what is just incredible. And she couldn't have done that if if she wasn't managed the way she was by Chris Waller. Can you indulge me? Um, because you said that the, the, the horse is an athlete and you recognise that. Take me to 400 metres to go in any race. You choose the race and describe to me what you're going through and for a bloke that's ridden so many horses, what's it like having a horse like that underneath you? Oh, it's special, you know. But it was always more special if I was back behind them and I was going past them because I could feel the speed and the power. And also when she, as I said, she was so competitive, so when she was chasing, she just went to another, le- you know, she went to a gear that she didn't go to if I was already in front. So a lot of the time, you know, I'd sort of amble up and be, you know, nosing in front sort of 300, 350 to go, and then I'd let her go and she'd drop and the crowd would see and she'd gap the field. And, but I couldn't feel that because she was so economical in the way she moved. Um, you know, I knew she was going, but obviously by the end, but I couldn't feel just – when she put three lengths on a field, I couldn't feel that. I could only feel that if I was coming from back and I was going past them. So describe that to me. Describe a race where you've come from behind. Well, it's you know, I guess the race I spoke about, which, you know, the Warwick Stakes, you know, I was back there, you know. I thought, well, I'm go- when I went for them, I thought, geez, it's going to be close, but I'm going to win. I'm going to – I could see Ecuador, who – uh, trained by Gay Waterhouse, I thought, well, I'm going to get. He's in. I'm going to get him. But when I got to him, Fox Play was on the inside. I, I couldn't see her, and she was another length in front of Ecuador. So when I got to Ecuador, Ecuador you know, and yeah, I mean, just that the way she just lifted to the line, you know. I mean, I guess all I did was not interrupt her. Uh, everyone. You know, it looks really smooth when you watch the replay of that race and I, I sort of pulled the whip through and just gave her a tap just to sort of... But, I, you know, it was nothing I did that made her win. It was just, as I said, it was her will to win and when she realised she had to find more, she found more. And that even the best horses, they don't do that. They don't do what she did that day and that was special. And other occasions... Uh, the George Ryder when I, th- her, I think her, in my opinion her two best wins was her second Cox Plate when we beat Hartnell in a record margin and I was able to c- control the speed of the race from about the 1000 metres and gradually put Hartnell under pressure and build and build and build and eventually you know he was redlining and Winks was still 
going pretty comfortably <laughs> and away she went. Hartnell's hit the front, Winx is going with him and they've turned it on. The great race is on here. It's Hartnell the leader. Winx striding up to join him from Blackheart Part Awesome Rock. The rest headed by Venomos and Yankee Rose. But Winx has raced away around the home turn. She's put two, three links on Hartnell. Awesome Rock, Venomos battling away and then came Yankee Rose. But it's all Winx in the straight. Four, five links in front of Hartnell. A good battle going on for the Miners. But this is a blitz. It's a weak blitz. Two in a row. And she joins the all-time greats of the turf. Winx has won it by six lengths to Hartnell. Yankee Rose third. And I thought that was that was a really cool race. Probably my favourite. Um, yeah, you know, if I had to pick one, that was the one because I felt like I was in con- you know, I was controlling the race almost the entire way. The the other one was the George Ryder. The, the following autumn at Rose Hill which is her home track that's where she's trained it was wet weather and yeah the way she went that day was just extraordinary I mean Chautauqua who's obviously a champion in his own right mm. not a 1500 metre horse mind you and not as effective on softer ground but uh, Lara Main who is a consistent group one performer uh, to to put 12 lengths on a horse like that. It's just, in the matter of 200 metres, it's extraordinary. Chautauqua will have to cut the corner. The crowd's starting to lift. Lou Remain takes the lead. Winx is just cruising up on the outside. It's Lou Remain and Winx and Bowman sits motionless yet again. Look at her rip clear inside the 200. Lou Remain can't go on. Nor Haraki. Chautauqua out of the pack. But all conditions, all distances, all challenges. Here's sweet 16 for Winx, making it back-to-back win. And the George Ryder. I thought they, you know, if I had to pick two, that they're the two wins. I think, I think we saw at a peak um, those two preparations. Is it exhilarating when you are just roaring past the field? Uh, it is, yes. Well, it was. Uh, it is on any other horse too, but with Winks, it was, you know, because of the expectation. But I can't tell you the amount of work and preparation that went into that. 50 metres of exhilaration. So, you know, the the amount of times I rode, you know, always holding on, you know, harnessing the power, <laughs> every, you know, every morning, you know, try, judging her speed. So she was doing enough but not too much and getting, a, you know, the preparation that went into that 50 metres of exhilaration, um, you know, it, it was, it made it even more special. And when you cross the line the final time, as you say, you're a pretty even-keeled man. Is it? Is it relief? Yeah, it was. It was. It was great knowing it was the last race. Um, there was nothing more to you know. I mean, I, I believe she could come back and race at the level she has this this spring if if that's what they wanted to do. So you think a fifth Cox Plate was possible? I think it absolutely achievable. Wow, a hundred percent. But where does it end? And at what, you know, do, what are the consequences? You know, that's that's what it became. You know, it got to a point where there was far more to lose than to gain. I mean, obviously, from a marketer's point of view, and people want to see her, and you know, I'd love to ride her again. But at at, at what cost? You know, and. Mm. There was just uh, the 
it got to a point where reality was already being uh, put aside, um, to so to speak. And absolutely, there was, you know, there, there's not, you know, I'd love obviously to write her again, but I'm also it's a bit of a double edged sword. I mean, I'm so pleased that she's retired and. You know, I'm looking forward to the next stage of my career. You know, and I really look at it that way. So, when you cross the line, do you, do you at any point do you get back, whether it's the jockey's room, whether it's home, and think, oh, yeah. we got the fairy tale we were after, and we didn't uh, blot the copy book for want of a better term after the last race? Are you saying, or all the yeah, time? Yeah, after the last race. Uh, it was, yeah, it was. It was great that it, the fairy tale was realised. Yeah, it was, and it was great. You know, it was it was a relief. It was a weight off the shoulders. Hartnell goes to second, giving chase. Now Happy Clapper and Winks is rounding them up, coming right around the field. Kluger takes an inside run. She's gone for home already. Winks. She beats off Hartnell. Kluger coming up the inside. Happy Clapper can't go on. Winks is two lengths clear. Kluger sticks on. Then came Hartnell, but she's well clear. Winks inside the final 100 metres. Today we farewell an Australian icon, the greatest of all time. Winks wins her third. Queen Elizabeth beats Kluger. It was just, um, you know, it was... It was it's been a wonderful journey, and I, I, we're still on the journey. You know, we're here talking. You know, the reason you want to talk to me is because of Road Winks. You know, and um, so that will live forevermore with me, uh, or with us, everyone involved with it. But um, it was relief, you know, and relief on her behalf because, you know, although she was doing it. I guess we were the ones managing her and we all had our different roles to play and it's not something we ever discussed. I mean, I never spoke about um, programming or, you know, Chris Chris used to ring me sometimes, especially as she was getting ready for her first start each prep, you know, and I could tell that he was nervous and Mm. I think we, our personalities, uh, which are very different, um, you know, were was great for the for, we, we were good for each other you know and it wasn't something that we ever discussed we just we just knew you know and we were there for one another and you know sometimes he was nervous sometimes I was nervous and ironically you know it was very rare that we were both sort of on edge on the same day uh, usually he'd be really edgy on the first start for the prep I'd be very relaxed by the last start of the prep whether it be the Queen Elizabeth or the Cox Plate, you know, I was I was starting to get, you know, my nerves were starting to build and Chris was very relaxed. So, as I said, it wasn't something we'd have ever discussed, but it was pretty obvious that, you know, we were had our own, own emotions and I think we helped each other through them. You've been very good with your time. I'm nearly done with you here. For long-term listeners of this show will know uh, i got a couple of kids um, that have nicknames and I always have a chat with them, and they decide a question for the guest. Okay. They both wanted to ask. It's normally one, but they right. were both transfixed by the Winx story. They watched a lot of the last races. Um, firstly, you get uh, my son, whose name is Mac. Okay. He's now seven, but he rolls as the big penguin. That's okay. what he likes to call himself. The big penguin. The big penguin. So this, uh, better questions than I ask, this is the big question from the big penguin to you, Hugh. Hi, Hugh. 
penguin here. Once I fed a horse a carrot and he loved it. Does Winx have a favourite treat? Of all the things he could have asked. Well, it's a good question, it isn't it? It is a good question. I'm probably not the person to be answering this <laughs> uh, because I didn't have a feeder. That was a moot and Candace. But I, she certainly had carrots in her time, uh, apples, and I think the odd sugar cu- cube. The odd but, sugar cube. But, but I'm, I'm sorry, big penguin. I'm a little out of my depth <laughs> answering this question. It's all right. You get the pickle now, um, who is nine. Here's the pickle for you. Hi, Hugh. Pickle here. We watched your last race on Winks, and we were cheering for you both big time. Do you still see her, and do you miss her? Hi, Pickle. Yeah, look, um, that's another good question. I, I do miss her, uh, but I don't miss everything that went with her. Uh, she, you know... As I said, it just became. It was more than just a horse. It was more than just a race when she ran. It was every time she went to the races, it was an event. So it was a bit like a footy team playing a grand final eight times a year. <laughs> that is a great you know, description. And I, and I was building myself up for a grand final, you know, a peak performance or, you know, a peak day, you know, like a grand slam almost. Um, Eight times a year, and I can assure you, it take it was exhausting, and I, and I think maybe that's why I went to Japan in the in the off season a little bit just to just to get away, you know, and and decompress as I said before, and then start it again. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see the well. You see that we've got the state of origin being played now. Mm. You know, you 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 won't see those players. Uh, hold that form uh, at the level of intensity that they play at for that 80 minutes. They won't be able to do that. There, there will be some sort of a lull for every one of them but over the next month or six weeks um, because you just can't lift yourself to that to that level of intensity um, time and time again and that's what I had to do with, with Winks and that's what we all had to do. But at the end of the day, there was only one person between her and the winning post, and that was me. And um, although I didn't, as I said, I didn't think a lot about it at the time, I was just, I just blocked everything out. But, you know, that's what I was having to do, um, play, play a grand final every fortnight, more or less. <laughs> I had three more questions for you. The kids know nothing about horse racing, but somehow, without me telling them, Dad, Winks is racing today. We need to watch it. What does it mean to you when people come up to you, whether it is in Japan or whether in Australia or when you go back to Dunedoo or when you're at Randwick and they come up and want to tell you stories about them watching Winks and what it means and has meant to them from five-year-olds to 95-year-olds? Well, what caught my attention was the amount of kids that she attracted, you know, and that was evident from about halfway through the winning sequence. You know, parents were bringing their kids out to, to see this amazing horse, but the interest that they showed, you know, the Winx flags, Winx caps, and but that to me was probably the most significant influence um, that she had on anyone because to have those younger people, you know, I was talking about playing grand finals, footy attracts cricket, attracts kids because they can play. You know, they play soccer, they play AFL, they play NRL, 
they play cricket, they play tennis. These sports attract kids because they can get involved in them. Horse racing is not like that. So for a horse like her to attract that younger generation was, for me, the most important influence that she had on on society. And if we can show, you know, as I said before, that, and the thing is horse racing is driven by a punting dollar. So that leaves a bad taste in some people's mouth. But it's it's more than that. You know, and I, I'm, I'm, obviously I don't bet on horse racing, but I'm not a punter anyway, so I don't bet on anything because mm. I'm just not a punter. But the horse racing is a sport and the horses are athletes. And if you get up close and, you know, you, if you can take your kids to the races and get it close and watch... The, the speed and the power and the beauty of them, um, it's really something really, really special. And if you just take everything away, take the call away, take the crowd away and go and watch a horse race from the top of the straight, um, it's it's really something special. And it's just power and balance and beauty. And, you know, that that's what attracted me to the sport when I was young. Um and that's what, you know, I guess I don't think about it a lot now, but, yeah, that that's that's the best part of it, just the, the sheer power of the beautiful animal. It's a great description. Two to go here. Two to go. I mentioned Lewis Hamilton earlier on. You know, he's on the way to probably another world title this year. If at the end of the season they said to him, right, Mercedes is out of the sport, you can drive a Racing Point or a Toro Rosso, and you'll be floating around at the back of the field. There may be another Mercedes out there for you. So the obvious question to me, Hugh, is after riding so many horses and getting on possibly the best racehorse this country has ever seen, how do you go back to getting on horses that aren't at that level? There might be another Winx out there for you around the corner, but th- that's a million to one shot, really. That's my, yeah, there won't be another Winx. But, but you know what? There'll be a champion two-year-old. And there'll be a champion three-year-old. There'll be Derby winners and Slipper winners and Melbourne Cup winners. Um, there'll be a, there'll be the best horses that you know. There's plenty to look forward to, you know. And no one expects to come across. You don't expect to see a horse like Winks, let alone be involved with a horse like Winks. So, you know, obviously, I'm proud. I'm privileged. I'm, you know, I'm very humbled by the fact that. I was associated with such uh, a supreme equine athlete. But there's plenty, you know, there'll be plenty more good horses and, I, you know, I don't need winks to keep my motivation going. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be plenty of, you know, and to, I'm looking forward to actually being able to put more time and effort and concentration into the development of you know, up-and-coming horses and and appreciating uh, the level they get to and the expectation I have on them and and horses either exceeding or not that expectation. Usually they don't rise to the level that everyone thinks they will, but like like I said before, if I, if I mark them hard enough, um, you know, if I'm realistic in my assessment, uh, you know, it's nice to see a horse achieve, whether it be... Whether it be a benchmark seventy-eight horse um, or, or a Group One horse, it's lovely to be involved with a horse that 
reach its potential, reaches its potential at all levels. We are very lucky on this show to have lots of kids listening um, and they'll be fascinated by your story. For all the kids out there that want to achieve something in whatever field they're in, and as a father of young kids now, you'll probably give this answer more thought than any other question I've asked you. I can see you thinking about it now. What advice would you give to the young people out there? Uh, it's something I do think about a lot, and I, I have been asked a few times, but as I said before, there's no substitute for hard work. Uh, if you're doing something you love, which I am lucky enough to do, then it's not it's not work. It's, you know, you're putting in extra effort because you like doing it. But you won't achieve... You, you'll always... There's no substitute for hard work and be true to yourself. You know, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say you've given it the best you can, well, you know, that's a tick. No matter what you achieve or don't achieve or where you get... And, you know, for me, it's not about being the best in the world or considered the best in the world or, you know, if I have a goal, then I make it my mission to do the best to to achieve that goal. But whether you achieve it or not, it's it's not about it's not about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's a it's about the rainbow. The pot of gold is the journey, and um, that's what I've learnt in my twenty two years of racing. Mate, I can't be more thankful of your time. I know you're a busy man. She's been a, a treat for me, even as a person that doesn't know an extraordinary amount about racing, to hear what was involved and the way you dealt with pressure and just the way your face lights up when you talk about riding horses is outstanding. So may you ride many more winners and get up to the farm when you get the opportunity and teach your kids to ride and hope it all goes beautifully from here on in, Hugh. Thanks, Howie. Appreciate your time. Cheers. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. Wow, that is quite a story. I can't fathom at all how Hugh dealt with so much pressure. Just seemed to almost take it in his stride and get on with the job of winning. Thanks, Hugh. For me, that was a wonderful hour and a half spent with the great man. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks to Darcy Thompson for stepping up and getting Series 6 rolling smoothly every episode while MJ continues to dominate his brekkie radio situation. To the crew, the entire crew at Podcast One, led by Grant Tothill, thank you so much for their support and Grant's support of the show and Grant Blackley, the man in charge of the whole operation, for his visionary backing of the podcast genre. To Kim Norman and her sales team, all-time series for the sales team, so well done to Kimbo and the crew. Thank you so much for continuing to help fund the show and grow the show. To the hottie, the hottie Erica and the pickle and the big penguin thanks for being the best team anyone could ever ask for and finally but most importantly you the audience thanks for making the show what it is without you there ain't no howie games until just after christmas when series seven will drop peace and love and we can do it if we try 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 if we try 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 If we try, try, try Listener